Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Very interesting guest today, an Italian called Ferdinando Verderi. Did I get your name right? Oh. <laughs> We're in Cannes, and uh, Fernando uh, Ferdi, I think you go by, do you? Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Ferdi is uh, a guy who's just won a gold lion, which is one of the pinnacles of advertising. It's like winning an Oscar. And we're going to hear a little bit about that. He's also launched a new book with a guy called Jefferson Hack called We Can't Do This Alone. We're recording this uh, podcast the day after Britain decided to leave the European Union in the vote. And uh, some of uh, Ferdy's work was uh, included in the uh, Stay campaign. So he's a bit sad today, but he also has a go line from last night. Uh, so welcome, Ferdy. Hi, thank you. Uh, whereabouts in Italy are you from? I'm from Parma. Ah, it's, uh, I don't know if you've been there. It's, um, I haven't, no, but we're probably going to be going there like, later in July. Oh, that's great. I'll give you some tips. <laughs> yeah. And um, I did spend my whole youth there, right. but I did spend every summer of my youth in this place called Elba Islands in Toscana. Oh, that was Napoleon. Exactly, yeah. where I suggest you guys go right. if you are in those areas. Napoleon was exiled there, wasn't he? He was, but yeah. he loved it so much. At least they say, they say so. so they were going to exile you to a beach where you can just kick back <laughs> and drink for the time. <laughs> I just a little preview to Santa Elena where mm. he went later on. But yeah, they're very proud of Napoleon and Elba, and um, I'm really in love with that island. So You went, you went there just with your family for summer? Yeah, my family, yeah, exactly, from very early on. And what was it like growing up in Parma? It was great. Very interesting schools. I went to a high school that is a, almost a dying institution in Italy, which is called Liceo Classico, which focuses on um, philosophy, Greek, Latin. The thing they told me the first day of school said everything you're going to learn here is going to be completely useless. <laughs> but sometimes the useless things are the most important. Absolutely right. And so, yeah, I keep that in mind. It was actually a great luxury to be able to think about ideas. big themes and ideas yeah. so early on, which is something that. Uh, I think has helped me a lot, and also afflicts, you know, afflicted me in, in ways. But well, how, it, do you, how do you mean it's afflicted you? Well, it, you it, think it, too much. The practicalities mm. of the everyday are often forgotten by those such big uh, topics that are somehow anachronistic. I mean, we're, we're fourteen and fifteen, and you know, our everyday topic, even between us friends, would be to translate something from. You know, a, a Greek, uh, a Greek poet for the day, for day after class. So there wasn't really the topic, the jokes, the references would all be about things that were, wow. you know, disappear like 2,000 years before. And so yeah. it creates this sort of uh, world that um, I think it's uh, it's quite precious to, to But It's actually a big gap, I think, in the, say, the American way of learning, or even Ireland and some of Britain, you know, that there is, in France and Italy, there is this educational drive towards learning philosophy for example for children they don't do it over, over yeah there. as you said it may be useless but you get this perspective exactly. at a young age which which stands to you yeah absolutely i think it it forces you to think in abstract terms for example we we learn greek ancient greek which is uh, obviously a very dead language and we had to translate it with a dictionary so that the skill was never in actually remembering words like it is for for a language that's alive today it was in understanding how the construct worked and yeah. so you really had to create these very abstract systems in your head and I think that for creativity that was really really useful for me because I love the idea of a, a kind of a, a rigor in the thinking process which is um, which is something I think I carry on from those days so you were studying Socrates Plato Aristotle all yeah, that stuff yeah since I was you know, 13, 14 to you get 18 wow. the thing is that you don't study much else so much you're really really weak in maths once you leave yeah, and you yeah. are you know you 
you have not other subjects suffer other subjects so really suffer yeah. that I did try to compensate that something that I'm not sure was a, was a very good idea with by, by studying uh, economics <laughs> right after that <laughs> almost to challenge myself to be like I've done this it was great I was really attracted to what I didn't know I think it, le- it le- led me somewhere interesting but uh, it was really like an experiment for me and yes. how did you end up leaving Parma where did you go so first doing economics I I went one year in Germany I spent one year in Germany with the choice of between going to Marseille, which is a few, few yeah. kilometers from here, or to Nuremberg. And somehow I was attracted to the second one for, this, for kind of like a more exploration. It's a bit of a trial. Resource. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's all I knew about. I knew about Nuremberg about that. And, uh, and on the good side, that was the home of this photographer I really liked called Jürgen Teller. I didn't know much about it, but it was enough to feel like it was going to be a challenging experience and an interesting one. Um, I oh, so you, you went to school there? Exactly, from, from Jürgen Teller that depicted this, this town, it was quite grey and the, the forest around was quite, definitely not the most appealing things to everyone. Yeah. So I, it, it felt like an interesting challenge and also learning German was something that I thought I'd never do in life otherwise. Yes. But the irony is that after living there for one year and after everyone sort of being surprised by such a weird choice uh, and I go back I basically go back every two, two weeks now because a client's Adidas Originals okay. uh, is based global headquarters of Adidas is based right there um, so obviously drawing you does it draw for you yeah well, I don't know Like it, it's quite a, it's quite a fun it's quite a fun topic actually because uh, you know I never went back I never would have gone back except yeah. now I go every two weeks yeah. and uh, when we where we stay now is in this grand hotel which is exactly Decide the place where I lived, the place where I lived for a year. So I always ask when I arrive uh, a window on the front because I have the exact same view I had 15 or so more years ago wow. when I was there, wow. and it's quite a, a, a mind-blowing uh, time warp. So Ferdy works as a uh, he's a founder of Johannes Leonardo, which which I remember when it formed about seven or eight years. 2007, ago. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that it's one's an Australian guy. He's yeah. quite well known, and I, I think I've met him a couple of times. And they were kind of an avant-garde. Let's try and do something different, very outside the box kind of agency. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll come back to your chronological life because um, you just mentioned Adidas. You won a Grand Prix yesterday. In a Canada. goal liar. A goal liar. Yeah, sorry, a goal liar. Nearly. The, sorry, the, the, these are all ad terms. But basically, he won a goal. Uh, he won an Oscar for advertising <laughs> yesterday. Tell me the idea that you you, you so, won for. We've been lucky enough to work with um, Adidas Originals, which is a, a big part of Adidas. The message was uh, really trying to bring a point of view to the brand, which was uh, coherent with their mission of challenging the status quo. So the conversation we tapped into was about the, the, the fact that every other movie today, every other piece of entertainment really focuses on a, a dystopian future. Like this young generation of kids growing up can't hear anything but the fact that their lives are going to be over and their, their world is going to be grey and yeah. uh, everything is going to finish and can you imagine how it feels to really like develop as a creative person because this is obviously a brand for creators a creative person with such perspectives without mm-hmm. you know sort of like a sense of generational hope. hope and so the campaign was really challenging that dystopian notion and uh, the resulting film is uh, this generational walk uh, that w- moves away from the camera towards uh, the idea of future, like right. this sort of one-point perspective. They chant something that uh, speaks about the idea of your future is not mine. So really, there's a generational chant that has a very melodic tune and quite memorable, I feel like, uh, that uh, sings really 
collectively about uh, the fact that they have nothing to do with the way we look at the future. They are going to create right. the future themselves. So the idea, for the philosophy about the best way to create, to predict the future is to create it. We brought it to life with this film, and then um, the song was really a hit, and we collaborated with Lil, Lil Angelo, a producer from the band The Weeknd. And so the whole kind of arc of his uh, uh, music story is uh, what was awarded the Gold Lion right. for entertainment. So there's a link to this uh, c- commercial on YouTube, which uh, you'll find in the blurb for the podcast. I'll, I'll put that on so people can see it. So um, go back to where we were on the um, arc of your life. You were in uh, Nuremberg for a year. What happened then? Well, look, if you, if you really need to do the arc of my life more properly, especially for to try to squeeze out some advice from young people on yes. of what not to do, yes. uh, <laughs> I... I left Palma for the first time uh, when I was 20 years old. I immediately went to New York for a few months mm-hmm. with the excuse to study English and actually immerse myself in this sort of new new world. And then I went back to New York since then, so since I was 20 years old, uh, every year pretty much for, for three months as soon as I could. And I did start to knock at doors, do internships and... And the one person who gave me the, the first chance was really in the fashion world and was this gentleman called Carlo Rivetti, who owns Stone Islands. I had done a, I won a scholarship in Italy, parallel to my university for this college, it's called International College of Arts and Design, and I did a very short program. It was kind of a very creative outlet, and uh, the, the patron of this, this institution was this gentleman, big entrepreneur in fashion in Italy, and without me knowing, he had actually made sure that his, uh, this person I would meet in New York would take care of me. I realized this years later oh. because I thought that this guy was just simply uh, very nice and giving me all these opportunities. And then after a while, I realized that actually his boss was really interested in giving me opportunities right. without, without really revealing it was him. But what was really important for me is to realize that there was a whole world which was actually much more successful in a way than the one that, uh, that uh, you know, the one in Italy came from. I'm trying to, trying to work out how your mind... Well, I mean, you, you, you did the, all the Greek studies and stuff, but did you always feel like you were going to shake the dust off Parma and get out yeah, and see the world? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Do you know why? I mean, I absolutely felt that, like a, a no-brainer. I think everyone around me felt it too. I, I went through a lot of uh, half tough time. When I, was, when I was in between the two worlds, when I still didn't have a recognition abroad, and I was still dealing with uh, my life in Parma, which was on the way to be... A good life, you know. I, yeah. uh, I jump a few years of our conversation. Then I am uh, graduating university. I had uh, I wrote a thesis about the art market, and, and the thesis got attention from a publisher in Milan, which um, started a whole series of interesting projects. My professor asked me to stay in the university to kind of have an academic career. So confronting that that sort of lifestyle with a very uncertain one of just living and uh, pursuing something I know from a training for was really difficult to accept for everyone around me yes um you know so it was it was tough to to kind of have that mentality you know i'm going to show you the support groups parents etc they are they mean well but they tend to push you towards doing the safe thing yeah my parents have kind of left me alone uh, (laughs) in, in that that way i think you know my mother always said in order not to make the mistake your parents do you make new ones so i think in order not to make any mistake on advising me they really left me deciding by myself from a very early age which is a good thing and a bad thing because when you don't have an enemy to fight against you almost you know <laughs> you kind of lost um, on the other hand my group of friends 
we're all in tune with me, but uh, we're all facing this sort of huge uncertainty. Mm. That's why with Adidas sometimes, originally, I, I find a big connection with the target, an early 20 person that needs to understand what to do in life, yeah. and all these forces converging. Um, and kind of one of the messages that we had delivered in, in the past campaigns was really to try not to think that um, every choice is final. Because I think that's what gets people stuck, you know, thinking that the next choice they do is going to set their life for, for good. Uh, it's actually not true at all. I think you just need to start rolling, and then the more you choose, the more choices open up to you. And uh, that's something I didn't know. So I, I, was, I was really stuck in, uh, you know, what to do next. As soon as I entered in this kind of windmill of New York professional world, I didn't have any time to think anymore. As you know, as soon as you actually start doing things, all this theoretical thinking becomes secondary. Yeah. So tell me what happened. That you were you were working for this fashion guy in New York, and then uh, that was just a that, that was just a part of a series of uh, of experiences um, that um, took me through the the years uh, of literally like going and experiencing New York a little bit. So you leave you when college breaks, you went to New York, and then you come back for college, and then you go the following summer. I, I would do that, yeah. yeah. And then and then when college finished for me, I I started a company with my professor. I wrote this thesis, it's called The Challenge of Photography to the Contemporary Art Market. And it was a very philosophical provocation, especially in an in a economics back, um, sort of environment. I was actually very passionate already about you know, the commercial world, the visual and commercial world. So um, I didn't really think about advertising yet, but I was thinking really about photography and fashion photography and those images that you access every day, which kind of frame your... Your, your visual world and your sensitivity yeah. and your, so I was a huge consumer of fashion magazines from the early age they were kind of, they were kind of my portals to this outer world of beauty and, and style and uh, sophisticated challenges to, to the idea of beauty so I was really familiar with fashion photography as a medium and uh, I started to find absurd that an image would would be identical uh, in a magazine that costs five euros versus uh, you know in a print that you pay five hundred thousand euros it was it was a conversation that started you know decades before but I really I was really interested in kind of an art market context about the absurdity of of this and um, it's the, it's the Campbell soup can, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, he, and he was trying, this thesis was trying to demonstrate that ultimately photography is a medium that's too advanced for a, a very restricted uh, uh, market based on scarcity, which is the art market or any market, and that maybe the most uh, natural medium for photography to exist was the commercial world, where things are reproduced infinitely and yeah. accessible to everyone. And so I think it was a bit of a, almost like a fuck you to the university course, which was all about this, um, you know, this, this uh, traditional way of looking at, um, at the market Your system. younger self would uh, be impressed with the, with the insight because of the way photographs now are in our phones and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, exactly. Sometimes I miss the ti- times in which I could think about an idea like this so deeply. But, you know, it's all a trade-off because when you spend months elaborating on such a such theory, which had to do with Walter Benjamin and all kind of philosophical background, you, you know, you, in a way you do less. You, you focus on something, uh, less people see it, and you do less. And, and today, I, I'm, my, my, my real goal is now is to engage projects that allow to, you know, to put the two worlds together. And so the book is, uh, the book that you mentioned before is, is one of them. And uh, it was a very interesting experience. So let's talk about the book. What, what, what's the Jefferson Hawk um, is um, a great publisher, and he, he started the Days and Confused when uh, he was really young mm. with this photographer called Rankin, and uh, they started really 
this world of independent publishing. My Days and Confused is now a, a, an icon and still one of the most well-known magazines in yes. the world. Uh, you also started another magazine in 2001, uh, called actually Another Magazine, and then Robert Mann later on, and then he is the inventor of uh, Nowness, which is a website most of you know. He's a brilliant guy, and I had somehow looked up to him for a long time uh, because of his magazines, and um, it was a great moment when I, he contacted me out of the blue, uh, out after I design a, a quick magazine, I, I'm not a self-trained designer at all. I, I don't have any technical skills, right. probably in any field. <laughs> but um, I, I did back the challenge to design a, a small magazine in New York for the need to actually do something that was like 100% mine, you know, without a client uh, in mind. This mag- he, he picked up this magazine and he wrote me an email out of the blue saying, "I love what you're doing. I would love to meet what you." What was the name of the magazine? It's called S Magazine. It's a Danish magazine. I did uh, just a couple of issues. Uh, I considered my kind of my challenge done. I redesigned it completely. It was I made it very, in a way, ironic and I experimented with topography things that I really formally had never known anything about. It was a very se- sensual sort of magazine, and I'm I'm not considering myself a very sort of sensual person, so I <laughs> I injected a lot of sort of irony yeah. and uh, almost self, kind of like self, self-deprecative parody, yeah. parody in this uh, magazine that otherwise was featuring a lot of um, you know beautiful erotic images I just yeah. I just felt like uh, it was taking itself too seriously yeah in a way and I mean the, the team the team at S was great and they, they loved they loved what we did together anyway Jefferson saw this and uh, contacted me and uh, we started working together he was really thinking about a project that could bring us in, in an actual like long-term collaboration, and uh, Rizzoli uh, wanted to do a book about him, and uh, he asked me from the very beginning to help him conceive it and edit it and uh, yeah. direct it. So talk about the book. I, I was doing some research on it before I met you. Uh, it, it, every copy is different, right? Yeah. So thanks to Kodak, we were able to create for the first time in publishing, I think. 5,000 completely different covers from each other, each of them numbered and each of them looking completely different. And the book's called you, We Can't Do This Alone, and it really talks about Jefferson's philosophy, which he defines punk positivism, which I think is something that the new generation, the other generation I'm actually talking about before, the future generation, has in common with the generation he was part of, this idea of rebellion, but with a very positive outcome in mind. And um, we also did... Uh, 25 posters within the book, which um, we designed based on sentences that he wrote in the past, and these are a way to make the book, which is about the past, actually about the future. So the book started from the brief of creating a monographic retrospective on one person, ended up becoming almost like a manifesto for the future of a generation. He had no intention to do something that was self-celebratory. Tilda Swinton and Bjork and people like that are all involved in it. Yeah, Tilda Swinton and Bjork contributed to creating new pieces for the book, which also uh, pushes this idea of uh, the book being something new versus something that is uh, an archival book. And then it closes it asymmetrically with, again, with another interview and with the posters themselves, and then with a manifesto that explains we can do this alone as a feeling. There's a link on the blurb to the book if anyone listening wants to uh, get hold of it. Um, there's a common thread here I'm feeling from your philosophy to wanting to get out and see the world to your fashion to the Adidas thing that you've just won for to this book which is is, is almost like a, a pushback against the way the world is saying you know it's, got, it's gone to hell it's like this idea of, of trying to give y- younger people a more positive approach it's it, 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 I never thought about it I de- definitely the younger me is 
the biggest for me it's number one critic of my work my work yeah uh, I feel like I the younger I, you is yeah. the biggest critic like I feel I feel like I really talk to that person a lot right um, and in a very emotional way sometimes as well a lot of choices that I make are, talk to you a bit more about that but I feel like it, it took me a long time to find an environment that would reward my and also took me a lot of time to acknowledge also my my creative style in a way my, my creative ambitions and so the whole limbo that I talked about before between uh, my town of Parma and the world that I was already kind of a, had a foot on was uh, was really hard that younger me was a very very expert connoisseur of uh, art design photography ideas even more so than now because now you have less time to really uh, dedicate yourself to what you really love you you have to do things that happen to you and so the kind of the abstract world of just like thinking and, and looking at things all day uh, gave me mm, gave that younger me sort of like a, a discerning attitude that I still look up to in a way do you think your younger you would be proud of you uh, sometimes I think about it in a way, yes. In a way, I think <laughs> it's a very weird conversation. Exactly. In a way, yes. In a way, I, I don't want to. I don't want to settle on that. Yes, it's yeah. a very easy way to settle. Your younger you would be proud of you, but wouldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I think I don't want to think he'd be proud of me. Otherwise, I'll, I'll stop. I think he would. Um, he would keep going. Yeah, say, absolutely. Keep going. Yeah, it would be yeah. like I wish I started before. It. Just go. That's another thing I have. The idea of you've made a lot of brave decisions in your life at a young age which I also sort of did but I still think I should have gone earlier I should have like of course. you look back and go, if I left at 26 I should have left at 23 or yeah something, absolutely you know? I definitely think there's, a, there's an interesting interview in Italy once I with this singer I think it's called Vinicio Caposella I'm not sure it's him because I'm not a huge connoisseur of his work but he said in an interview said everyone discouraged me enough for me to really want, want, to, want to become a singer yeah. I think this notion of um, you know, suffering before actually being able to to do what you really like, in a way, stays with you and helps you really appreciate what you do every day. But I don't feel settled for, for a second. I, I actually feel like I have a lot to, to do and uh, I'm really driven by this idea of um, authorship, which doesn't mean that I want to write or anything like that, but it means that I, I would love to... Um, Create. Yeah, to, to exactly to just like start to create in a way which is completely uncompromised and uh, authorial in a way. That's why the book felt so great. And Jefferson is clearly one of those completely independent sort of uh, thinkers. Thinkers, yes, which which never sold any part of his company and allows him a freedom of thinking that was really refreshing for me. So, what do you say to your younger self? Um, I think uh, younger selves in general, not only mine. Yeah. Uh, need to really trust their instincts. I think uh, I remember the feeling when I realized I was actually right. When I went to New York and started to talk to these incredible people, I remember one of them was Italo Zucchelli. The 14 years he was creative director of Calvin Klein collection till actually a month ago. And I remember the first conversation I had with him, someone I looked up for a long time, was really like confirming a lot of things that I thought would, would be, and he was really complimentary about my insights and my intuition. And I, and then more and more and more people like that and then I, I started to realize maybe I was actually right maybe my intuitions were actually right they weren't just like very subjective so I do encourage people with very strong instinct to follow them yeah. because um, I think questioning them um, kind of deludes them a little bit yes and, uh, you, you exude this kind of positivity about 
that we can get out of this mess that we're I mean someone has this concept uh, I think it's Sam Harris of sleepwalking to Armageddon mm. that we just we're so besotted by the minutia and the stupidity mm -hmm. of culture that we're not thinking about these big issues that you yeah. thought about when you were a kid and kids today aren't doing that but yeah. this, this idea that we can get out of it is a theme that runs through a lot of what you do yeah I really um, I think it's important to to compare yourself to people that are greater than you and like people that have there's this quote from the past that I remember really clearly that said the biggest the problems the biggest the life you're living and the bigger the, uh, the, bigger the problem uh, the bigger the life although it's not a plan to have big problems but I, I, I do think it's a very interesting insight this and I don't know if there's anything to learn from me to be honest but that idea of disconnecting yourself from the from the minutia of the everyday to elevate yourself to a more to a long term vision of things has some positive has some positivity in it. It has also, as I said, some counter counter indications. But uh, it's definitely something that I think you know allows you to dream more. Freddy Verdere, you're a big dreamer, and I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Congratulations on your goal, Lion. Thank you. And I want to. I'm I want keep to keep in touch with you because I want to see where you what you do next. It's thank you. I would love to to shut out my peers Wes, Phil, and Matthew Edwards for you know for the this gold lion which yes. we, are, we are definitely sharing and um, yeah which uh, I just want to to give a hug to. There you go. Thanks, Benny, for being on the podcast. And the best of luck in the future. Thanks a lot.